My name is Sister Prince and today is July 16, 1987 and I am interviewing Clarence Teeters for the Black History Project of the Missouri Historical Society. Together we will explore the 40s and 50s in St. Louis. Well, let's just begin at the beginning, Mr. Teeters, and or can I call you Clarence? Sure, okay. please. And you can call me Sister if you can. Okay, okay. Sister. Alright. <laughs> um, tell me where you were born. I was born in a small town outstate Missouri, Huntsville, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was born, it was prior to desegregation where you were able as a black to go to school, any school that you wished or any schools in the community. So as a black, it was necessary to go to the small three-room school where most of the blacks at that time, all the blacks attend at that time, if they were going to school, attended school. So they would attend that school, Lincoln grade and high school, from the first grade through the 10th grade. Mm -hmm. When you graduated from the 10th grade, if you wished to go to the 11th and 12th grade, it was necessary to go to a consolidated school, which was Moberly at the time. It happened to be located approximately six miles from Huntsville. Now, I found when I graduated from the 10th grade in Huntsville and went to Moberly to the 11th and 12th grade that Moberly also had students from Bevere, Missouri, Macon, Missouri, Paris, Missouri, south of Moberly, um, can't think of the names, but a couple of towns, they also went to Moberly. So in going to Moberly, you found that you were in school with a number of blacks from the surrounding area of Moberly. Now, I'm not sure at what grade the others in these other towns started to go into Moberly. However, Huntsville, after the 10th grade, they went to the 11th and 12th grade in Moberly. Now we went, as I recall, back as far as I can remember, I guess my sister who, one sister at least, two years older than I, she attended Mobley the same way, but I have an older sister and I'm not sure what she did for attending school back in those days. However, what it was, the bus driver would use his own car, his wife was a teacher, so he drove from his wife and another teacher from Moberly to Huntsville. And then when he would return to Moberly, he would take the children that were going from Huntsville to Moberly. That meant that you could not really have more than about seven because one small car would not carry more than seven. And then in the afternoon, when he would be on his way to go back to pick up his wife and the other teacher, he would take those that came from Huntsville back to Huntsville and bring and take his wife and the other teacher back to Moberly. So if he hadn't done this, you probably wouldn't have been able to go, would you? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know what the arrangements were. They may have had some other means of transportation. Mm -hmm. However, for that at that time, he was the one. Was this done through the school system? I'm sure it was, okay. sure. It was the school system. It was not something that I paid for out of my own pocket. Are your, are your parents? Right. How did you get along in uh, Moberly? 
Oh, fine. Uh, Mobley was was fine. I rather enjoyed it. It happened that my best subject in school, I always thought anyway, was math. And I, that was probably because the principal of the school in Huntsville was also a teacher. Now he taught math, which was his basic subject evidently in college. So I found that the math that he taught, algebra and geometry, were the best subjects. He was pretty experienced because when we went to Moberly, we found, at least I found, that the youth in the classmates in Moberly, they were not that good in math. And evidently their teacher in math in Moberly was not as experienced as the principal in Huntsville who was also the teacher of math. And therefore the, the math really didn't go too much farther than what I had in the 10th and the 11th grade. Okay? But it was good and we enjoyed it and played. We, some of us played basketball in the, on the Mobley basketball team and, and things like that. But it was all right. It was, it was learning and good experience. You enlarged your life a little. Of course. And in Moberly, the come to think of it, the principal of the school there was experienced and his master study must to have been foreign language, Latin. So he taught Latin, the subject that he taught, although he was the principal. And I, I know that he was good with Latin. Did your parents want you to go on? Everybody did not go on? Well, in my particular case, my mother died uh, early when uh, before I really finished uh, school in uh, high school in Huntsville. However, it appeared to me that the thing to do was to go on and con continue and finish and get the 11th and 12th grade and finish them, which I did. So it was uh, my own choosing to continue to go on. I have a brother that after 10th grade in Huntsville, he did not go on to the 11th and 12th grade. As such, he did not finish or get uh, his high school degree, 11th and 12th grade, because he did not go to Moberly. Um, all right, now you've graduated from Moberly. After graduating in a small town in Huntsville, Missouri, in the early 40s, graduated in 1942, there was nothing to do, a lot of people, and no jobs. So what happened to me was there for a while I banged around doing this, doing that, around the railroads. Uh, at that time there was an airfield built in Kansas and I went out there to help build an airfield. But after that airfield was completed for the Army or Air Force or whoever they built it for, it was a government air, airfield, there was nothing to do. So. When spring came, that was in late 42, and spring came in 43, I was drafted into the Army. And after being drafted into the Army, when I went into the Army, I have like now two fingers off. And after the basic training, we, back in those days, if you were going to go to any type of school, they always sent you to the medics to 
dispensary to have you examined to see whether you were okay before you went from one camp to another. So in that process, the one of the doctors noticed that my left hand, which I had two fingers blown off when I was in early teens, and he said, you're not going any place. So instead of going from one camp to another or going to school to the training, he gave, I ended up staying in the Army for a total of approximately six months, but I was discharged. And after being discharged and going back to Huntsville and looking around and seeing nothing to do, and I can't stand to do nothing, I decided to go east or go someplace where I could go to school or do something. So I came to St. Louis and stopped with a relative, a distant cousin. And when you say nothing to do, what do you mean? In a small town like Huntsville, where there's small community, not big factories or anything of substance that will be of substance, there was railroad, but the Wabash Railroad, but how many people can work on the Wabash Railroad? Not a whole gob when they've already got a number of people and they're working. As I said before, when I finished high school, I did a little work with their on the railroad. It's an extra gang that is going out, and what they did was to check the track to see whether the tracks were okay and where they needed to replace some tracks and do that type of thing. But other than that, in the regular time of the year, they didn't need a whole gob of people. So you didn't have that extra gang work and that type of thing, so you need to find something Something stable, something that you could depend upon, something that uh, you could you could do. What did your father do? My father happened to have been a coal miner. He was a coal miner for years. He worked in mines, and there were a lot of uh, individual people that would uh, they would find a spot where there was coal in the ground, dig and find it, and then they would get some people and they would build down to the coal and get the coal out and sell it and this type of thing. And uh, but at, at this time when I was coming along, a lot of those coal mines, uh, strip mines and things, they were paying out. They just about mined out. And then coal was not needed that much as it had been years before. They, and as a matter of fact, my father at that time, he was kind of, instead of continuing to work in coal mines, he was kind of semi-retired. He would work a little bit, but then he wouldn't, he'd be here and he'd be there and uh... Are you comfortable? You mm -hmm. want to lean sure. back in the no, <clears throat> Pull it up a little bit. And I'll bring it back. <laughs> um, all right, so you decided to come to St. Louis. Decided to come to St. Louis and really, uh, my original intention was not necessarily to come to St. Louis, but I knew from being in military service for approximately six months and where were you? that Fort Leonard Wood. Fairly. I spent all my time at Fort Leonard Wood. And I ended up in Fort Leonard Wood when they did not let me go to the school where they were, I was supposed to go. I was su supposed to put on sergeant stripes and go to school. I'm not sure what type of school. I know some of the guys went to OCF school, Officer Candidate School, and some went to other schools. But they told us we could put on sergeant stripes as soon as we hit on the train. But I didn't get to the train because they told me I wasn't going anyplace. And instead of going someplace, the doctor told me to go back 
to my barracks and they would notify me where to go and what to do. So when I was notified, instead of going with the engineering group or staying with the engineers where I was, I went assigned to the DEML detachment. And of course, uh, sometimes I used to kid people and they asked me what was that. And I would say, don't you know what DEML is? And they said, no, what is it? And I said, don't ever mention labor. <laughs> but it was actually demolition. What was it like to be Negro in the Army? Well, at that particular time, it happened that I was in an all-black group. So it really wasn't anything. I was just just like being with a group of guys someplace. I guess to a certain extent I had gotten used to being with a group of people and I really wasn't in there that long to really become acclimated to something different than what I had been because as I mentioned I had worked on the railroad when I finished the year I finished high school and when I was working on the railroad as an extra gang what I found was that the Wabash Railroad put a group of men and they sent you around to where they needed you to rebuild these road beds. So from, say like May of 82, 19, sorry, 1942, from May of 42 until say up in say October, September, October when it got cold, you found yourself staying in these railroad cars and you were sleeping in them where they have the beds and things and they had meals there and I remember that we did some work uh, all for a week or two or three weeks and we stayed in Decatur, Illinois. They were rebuilding some roads of beds along there. Then they were moved from there up into Fort Wayne, Indiana to re do some work up there. So when you get in this type of environment where that you're moving and you got a group of people that are and bunks and things where you're sleeping, you've got your personal belongings. So when you get used to something like that after a fashion, then when you get into the army and you deal with the group, well it's really a, a, it's not, a, I found that it's better to adjust to some things rather than to try to fight some things. So you just go along until, until you find out uh, what's going on that might be contrary to to what you might like or want or anything. And yes, uh, I'll say this, I can recall that at that time I didn't know what it was, but I know that being with these guys and places, I found that even way back in 1942, there were some guys that were smoking marijuana and, and other stuff. I, I just knew the smell, but I didn't know what the heck it was, but I found out what it was, marijuana and it had its own smell because I, I don't smoke and never did smoke. Uh, well, I say I never did. I did smoke cigarettes at one time, but that was taken away from me when one day when I was away from home and my sister, my brother, and my nephew, and my nephew's uncle on the other side, they took my pipe and half, half tobacco and my cigarettes and spread it among themselves and they when I returned home, they wanted me to run after them to get the stuff back. And I just told them, look, you keep it, I don't need it. And they all smoked two and three packs a day and I don't smoke at all. So they did me, they, they did me a favor. They sure they, did. Um, did you have white officers? Do I have what? Did you have white officers or black officers? Or I believe the officers were 
well, the sergeants and persons were black. There were some white uh, higher officials uh, when they were come around and this type of thing. Had you had any contact with whites um, because you lived in a small town and stayed? Did you stay in your own area? Was segregated? Had you had any? Well, back in Huntsville when I lived there, I the uh, approximately six houses that were close to where I lived were were black families, but then on the other side, once you left where I lived or where we lived, then you would have you would have whites. Uh, I wasn't around whites too much. Uh, there was it's just one of those things that the where where way people lived, and I suppose most of the persons had those houses and owned those houses for years, and their families owned them. I had. Uh, worked around Caucasian or white persons um, to this extent. As, uh, as a boy growing up, my mother always, as I can remember, the way that we lived, she worked for a lot of white people. And she did a lot of laundry for white people, that is washing their clothes and ironed, I remember those shirts and she would put starch in those cuffs and collars and those things would be stiff as a board. And I can remember many times, I'm not patting myself on the back here when I say this, but my oldest sister it's now, allowed. my oldest sister, who is quite a bit older than I, as a matter of fact, right now in July, she'll be 83. How old are you? I am 62. Okay. 62. Now, my mother would have me to help her iron some of these shirts. And I was the one, besides my older sister, that when she had a whole lot and was behind, that she would get me to come in and help her iron these things. My brother, who we always call Flapjack, or she called Flapjack, he wouldn't be still, wouldn't be still long enough and he didn't do a good enough job. My other sister, who was a couple of years older than I, sometimes she would do help do the flat work. But when it came to ironing the collars and the cuffs, but my mother would get me to help. And at that time, we would iron on the by putting these irons on the stove and let them set on the stove, and then had these clippers that you would clip down in the iron. You remember seeing those type of iron? and then you would use that, and when it get cold, you put it back on the stove and get another iron. And then then along came electric, electric irons, and we get the electric irons. But uh, that way, I remember being around white people that way, going to pick up their, uh, their, um, their laundry and delivering the laundry. Then there was um, some families, I think it was the attorneys and some doctors, and when I became old enough, I would go and cut the grass and take in the coal and uh, out the coals out of the front, out of the stove and and put the oil in and oh yeah I used to go on Saturday mornings uh, when school was not in sessions I would go up and there were two families where I would go into the lady's house and I would take care of cleaning the stove from uh, from the week before where did the uh, well whatever dirt or grease may have been in the uh, in the stove and then uh, 
get down on my knees and scrub the floor and wax the floors and polish the floors and as I say in the summertime cut the grass and take care of the yards and uh, I remember one lady she used to always tell me she said I'm going to pay you 25 cents an hour and uh, when you go to work with this other lady don't you charge her any less than what I pay you because she's a cheapie and she won't pay nothing for nothing you can work over there all day on a Saturday and she'll give you 25 cents and you go over there and don't you work for less than 25 cents an hour so you're worth it. You do good work. <laughs> Sounds like you were a responsible young man. I don't know. It was it was fun growing up. You had uh, those type of things happen. But that was part of growing up. You had to do something. And uh, of course, once you became uh, 17, 18, and 19 years old, and I think that baby died uh, sometime along that time. That was the mother of the lady that was married to an attorney. So uh, things change when people pass on and another group coming on it kind of makes you think of the things that happened to in the biblical times to Joseph how that he was so helpful and he interpreted dreams and things and how that he became what the Pharaoh the trusted Pharaoh put in him but then when the uh, that Pharaoh died and and things like that where well, the other people don't know about Joseph and uh, how they treat people and this type of thing so that type of thing goes on don't get me wrong, in those days I didn't know a thing about Joseph and the Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> sounds, like you, sounds like you've been a learner all your life. Well, not really. I've just been around the block a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> Some people go around the block a couple of times and don't pick up a thing. Um, all right, so we're in St. Louis. Oh, when I came to St. Louis to stay with this cousin, I, as I started to say way back when, after being in the military for almost six months, ten days of being six months, I found that I still would be entitled to get some schooling under the GI Bill. Oh. So I thought that, well, there's nothing going on in Huntsville and just sitting there and getting into the groove or whatever you want to call it with everybody else, it really didn't make sense and I was getting older day by day so make a move to do something. I don't feel like that anyone should really say sit here and wait for your ship to come in. I believe in rowing out to meet it. Today. <laughs> so I thought I would get going so I came with my cousin and was talking with him and stayed with him a while and talking about going to school and he said well he says right now is not the time to go to school school is better if you start say like in September or if you start in January and at that particular time it was like in October so he said right now while school is not going on and it's really not time to start the school why don't you see about working and I said well it's a good idea what's available and he said Number one, go to the post office. He said, it will be Christmas soon. And when Christmas comes on, they always use extra help to help them handle the mail. The volume of mail increases. So I said, hmm, good idea. So I went to the post office, personnel as he told me to, and I went to the personnel people and was talking with them. And they said, oh yes, we can use people. We put on a lot of extra people. but." what you have to do is uh, decide what you want to do. So I asked him what is available. 
and he went to pointing out the various jobs, clerical, janitorial, maintenance, or a carrier. So he said the best one would be the clerk. They all could always use clerks. And I said, well, I'll try it. Not from a small town, I really had feelings about what could I do because, as I said earlier, the husband of one of the teachers in Huntsville was a janitor in the post office in Moberly. And from that, that was actually the only black person I'd ever seen around a post office anywhere. So being from a small town, I had reservations or I was wondering now, what can blacks do in the post office? What would they be allowed to do? So a man told me I could do what I wanted to do. I really had reservations about clerk, but that's what, what I said I would try. What kind of reservations? Well, my thoughts were, what would I be putting, getting into? Was it something that I could do or would, really thoughts were kind of like an inferior complex coming from a small town and seeing what blacks were doing in another town and wondering whether I as a black should try to do something other than or more than what I knew some other black was doing in another post office. Was this a white person that was interviewing you? Yes, yes. It was a white person that was interviewing me and telling me that I could apply for this or that or whatever I wanted to do. Well, I later found out that there was a distant cousin that worked in the post office in St. Louis as a clerk. And at that time, uh, well, later I was to find that after entering into the post office and finding more about it, that there were a number of blacks that were in positions such as clerks and carriers and doing everything in the post office. Of course, this is because it was a larger town. I, well, in starting to work in the post office as a Christmas assistant, it was necessary to learn a scheme. I learned a scheme, Webster Grove, District 19 as we call it, and that was but I won't describe it in, in general, but it was throwing mail and taking care of uh, getting mail to the destination, to clerks and so forth. Now, you use the word scheme, you told me on the phone, is also an alternate word for plan. It's a plan to, it's a system that was necessary so that if you had a letter addressed to number 10 West Lockwood, that would be thrown to, the plan would be to know what carrier would carry that mail to its destination. Webster Grove, as I recall, had about 40 carriers. District 19 had 40 carriers. And in Webster Grove, you had enough streets and addresses and things to total maybe about Oh, let's say 400, maybe more. But if you had a letter going to all 400 of those streets and addresses, well, I'm saying 400 different uh, areas, it could have up, been up into the thousands, obviously. What carrier 
which of those 40 carriers would carry the mail for number 10 West Lockwood to get to to deliver it so you had to learn which carrier and how did you learn I mean just briefly did you find that you were able to carry out perform to do to learn it yes it, it took some time I even since I was new to st. Louis and did not know the area had no knowledge of what the heck I was learning and it, some of it didn't make sense. Many times, to make it make sense, I got on the bus, I went from where my cousin lived in the city to Webster Grove, I looked, at the, looked around and drove around in it to try to, to, try to make, get it some relevance. And after doing that a couple of times and really make, letting it sink in and make it make sense, then I went back and just really just memorized the things and was able to do it. And right today, after see, 1943, that was 45 years ago, if I saw a piece of mail for some of those streets that I used to throw, I could still throw that mail to the carrier where I used to carry it. And that, when I was talking about a moment ago, West Lockwood, that's right in the heart of Webster Grove, where that the Webster Grove Trust, the bank is located, and West Lockwood is a per prominent street. There's Webster College located there, Eden Seminary. Those places are right around West Lockwood, East Lockwood, and those areas. What was it like being in St. Louis for you then, after growing up in a small town? I'm thinking of segregation, being with a lot of whites that you'd never been with before. When I say being with them, you were working with them. You saw them on the streets. Uh, there were certain places that you hear that you could go and you couldn't go. So let's begin. Also the working conditions. I'm throwing a lot at you, but we're now we'll take it a little bit at a time. Okay. When you go from having gone to the post office and started to work, and when I started to work, I found that I was working with around both blacks and whites. I found that there were a lot of whites that really were in the same, well, I found that people were people and that white people had some of the same problems I had, and that is, if I had to learn a scheme, they learned a scheme. And we had problems trying to remember where some of the things went and, and how to perform. So once it, start, it became through to me that there were whites and blacks and we were all alike, and that is we were trying to do the best job that we could, I started to losing that inferiority complex that I kind of had or doubts at the beginning about whether I could do this or whether I couldn't do it, and I start to feel like a human being and, and rather than having the inferiority complex. Now. How did it feel to feel like a human being? It felt, it felt good it, because uh, I started to feel that it was a type of world that if you 
took care of yourself and did the things that you could do that you would be all right. Now, a lot of times, even though I was around a lot of whites, in those days there were Okay. I found that there were a lot of whites and a lot of blacks that had the same common problem. And I, I find, just like still today in the 80s, there are a lot of whites and a lot of blacks that have a common problem, except that sometimes neither whites nor blacks realize that there is a common problem and that's something that we could best deal with if we dealt with it together instead of trying to deal with it separately. I find that being around the post office where that you had the inferiority complex and not knowing what was going on and what was going to happen, but after being around a while and working around with people and I suppose a lot of it is getting people's confidence and people putting trust in you. And I found from being where that I had a question myself about whether I could perform the duties and seeing what other people were doing and things like that to start to doing by learning, by doing and, and working that people will soon start to put in trust in you. And I can say that being in the post office there for the first couple of years and working with some of the supervisors who were all white and they put certain trust in you and I can recall that the hours I worked and the supervisors and the other people and they put trust in you to the extent that instead of you just consistently being one of the persons that they that they wanted to get you on the ball to do something they put trust in you to the extent that you are more or less kind of put in charge of things and I, I remember that there were certain people, some of the supervisors, white, that put, put me over here working on the, when the mail would be coming in off the trains. I'd be over there to take charge of that section and see that the mail was opening up and put on the ledges and get the mail out and, uh, and do things like that. And uh, then I can remember the superintendent of the tour, certain tours, would uh, want me working when he was working and this type of thing. And uh, I don't know, evidently I did a pretty good job. And I can recall that after working uh, certain hours and doing certain things for a certain time, I decided that I wanted to go to school. I wanted to, well, since I was working, I may as well, and I worked there from 43 to 45, I wanted to go to school. And I approached the uh, superintendent and, and told him that I wanted to change hours so I could go to school. and. One of the things I remember him saying is, well, this is a good job. You can make more money here than you can anywhere else. And why go to school? You look around over here and you see... Uh, he was white. Yeah, he was white. And he started to point out various employees who I'd been working with for a couple of years. And he was telling me, and I knew that, they, that too, that they had degrees. Some fellows had uh, Negroes there were, were lawyers and some were had degrees to be teachers and some had degrees to be a, a one guy had a degree to be a dentist and well some of these people even though they had those degrees some of them were not working in their field but on the other hand some of them were some of those guys were a dentist in the day and working the post office in the evening some of them taught school in the day and worked in the post office in the evening and 
one fellow was a lawyer. He was a law, had a law degree, and he had an office, uh, but he worked in the post office in the evening. So uh, I guess it's because that they really knew that they could do what they could do. Now, with regards to some of the things, there were problems because there were a lot of, uh, of white people that did not put trust in blacks, and they, uh, they would not let them do this, they would not let them do that, they would not let them progress, they would not let them be promoted, they uh, didn't use them here and didn't use them there, and, and this type of thing. But I remember that in working in the post office, I met a gentleman, one named Henry Wheeler, and uh, after there was an organization, Postal Alliance, National Alliance of Postal Employees, which I joined, and I found that one of the uh, gentleman members was Henry Wheeler, who I uh, met, and uh, he was one of the blacks that tried to do things to further blacks. And many times in the rain, the sleet, and everything else, Henry Wheeler would be down on Grand Boulevard, uh, stand up there walking by the theater, the place they call the Fox now, and the other place, I believe they yeah. call it the, uh, the American and trying to get it so that blacks could attend. And back in those days, blacks could not attend those places and they would not let the blacks go in there and attend. But he stood out there walking by himself many times and trying to fight. And even though he was a postal employee and was working, had a job, which he worked, he would go down there when he was not working and he would be standing out there and he would get people to walk out there with him and talk about this integration and try to get it so the blacks could be out there and, uh, and be there. There was another postal employee that you probably don't know the name, but maybe you've heard the name and maybe you haven't, Josiah Thomas. He was a black that worked around the post office at one point in time, and he became a state, a Missouri state representative, and he fought for blacks and to try to get them to uh, be able to do various things. In what way did he fight for blacks? The same way that Henry Wheeler. And uh, while he was a state representative, he pointed out and tried to do the things that passed legislation that would help blacks uh, become more into the, uh, into the community, infiltrate and get into the community to become, uh, well, to become a whole citizen so that they could do the same type of things that Henry Wheeler was wanting blacks to be Did able to do. Did you ever help Henry Wheeler? Not really. I knew him, but one of the reasons why that I did not uh, help Henry Wheeler or Josiah Thomas was that I started working in the post office in 43 as a Christmas assistant, temporary. With the war going on, they converted a lot of the people, those that they wanted, not all of them, into a war sub, and that was they kept you on and let you continue to work because during the war there were a lot of people in military service, a lot of people started to work and they got drafted into the service and they wanted to, they needed somebody. So I stayed around and since I'd been already been in service and continued to work. Now after a fashion when I started going to school, I went to St. Louis U. Start going to St. Louis U. Let's can we back up just okay. for a minute? Okay. Um, you asked me a question. Did I help Henry Wheeler? Then I apologize. Finish it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. what I was going to explain why. Yes. Okay. See, when I started going to St. Louis U, 
I was taking 18 credit cards mm -hmm. and I was still working in the post office. Mm -hmm. So if you're taking 12 to 18 hours credit cards a semester in school and you're working anywhere from six to eight hours a day, five days a week, or maybe six. Actually, we work six, sometimes seven. You really don't have time to get out and do a lot of things otherwise. So I really didn't have the time to get out and, uh, and walk with him. I had to take any time that I was not working, I had to have a book open, be reading or studying or trying to get something. Right. Yes. I'm sorry, I did not mean to, to rush yeah, you. Okay. I, I wanted to um, ask you about uh, more about the post office. Um, okay. When what, what, what about post office? Um, what did you do about your meals? Eating? Mm -hmm. When I was in the post office, I was still with my cousin that I started out staying with when I came to St. Louis. And my cousin, he was a good cook. And he had, uh, well, I ate breakfast and uh, I would buy lunch or this type of thing. But my dinner, I usually ate it at home. Could you eat where everyone else ate in the post oh, office? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In the post office, they had a cafeteria. And in the cafeteria, you could go through the line and get your food. Blacked. Right. And they did have, at first they did have certain areas where you, as a black, were supposed to sit and eat. But then later they shifted and they stopped having the certain areas designated. They start to uh, open it up and you go where you want or eat where you want or sit where you want to sit and this type of thing. It was a uh, it was something that just kind of happened overnight in those uh, in those early 40s there. What about Joseph Clark? Joseph Clark was a guy that I met that worked in the post office. He was, I didn't really work with him directly myself because I was a sub and temporary and, and worked according to when they needed me. Joseph Clark was an employee that had a regular assignment and he worked a certain hour so I did not see him in the post office itself. I know that Joseph Clark was put all out of the post office because he was accused of being involved in prohibited activities. And Joseph Clark, the organization that I spoke of, there were a number of unions in the post office but this particular organization itself spent a lot of time and energy and money fighting for Joseph Clark so that he could be uh, come back to work in the post office. Joseph Clark was uh, a knowledgeable man, he was a good man, he, he thought deep, he was sincere, and he did a lot of good work in the post office when he was working. Unfortunately, see, shortly after I was in the post office, Joseph Clark, and I don't know if you are aware of this or not, was put out of the post office because of, uh, well, what was I, it? I never did really get the gist of it. It okay. was supposed to have been some prohibited activities or, mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. But I know that the Postal Alliance went through some legal actions and things and on the national scale 
and he was vindicated and given the clearance and was ordered put back to work. Mm -hmm. And I recall no one thing about Joseph Clark. He went back to work and worked one day and then he officially resigned. Oh, I see. He just explained something for me. I did? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Um, now, can we talk about St. Louis at that time? Where could you go? And where could you not go? And where, where, where did you live first? I lived with my cousin at that time. Right, he but, but he lived went. in the 4500 block of street called Aldine oh. in the central city, which is not off of, just off of Taylor Avenue. Were you in the Ville? In the, well, yeah, that would, that would write it in the Ville. Uh -huh. That's in the Ville. It's, uh, I think the Ville, well, it's part of the Ville. Uh -huh. I'm not sure what the, I know Aldine that. Aldine used to be called Lucky or something like that. Was that the street? It may have been. I, I don't know. I don't remember call uh, Lucky, but Aldine, A-L-D-I-N-E. It may have been Lucky. But 4500 on Aldine, that's just west of Taylor Avenue. And uh, Taylor is still Taylor because it's still Taylor today. And that would have been, if it wasn't a Ville, it was in the edge of the Ville. I know that from Taylor going east towards Sarah is a, is a Ville in that area from uh, maybe uh, Easton over to St. Louis Avenue or something like that. But uh, we were just west of Taylor, so that could have been the Ville too. If they call Ville up to Marcus. I'm not sure where the Deville cut off, but it's right. You could say the Ville because it would be near the Ville or in it. So what was it like? Well, you had uh, houses, a uh, number of blacks. There were some Caucasian families that lived in the, in the area. And living in the area was not too bad, except that uh, there were some people that really uh, was not used to being uh, there or not used to cleanliness or not used to in some cases I know that there were torn down dilapidated houses it was uh, in some cases it was rat infested uh, dealing with people uh, since it was uh, so many blacks in the area really not too much uh, problems with uh, let's say the relationship of whites and blacks except that when you wanted to go to a movie, you you had uh, certain movies in the area where the blacks usually went, but if you wanted to go to a movie, say downtown, or a movie up on Grand, or a movie further out, you had restrictions and you couldn't go, and that was a reason for Mr. Henry Wheeler and Josiah Thomas uh, kind of going out and hitting the streets and fighting and trying to get to a place so that you could attend those other places. But as I said before, since I was in school for a large part of those 40s, that I didn't have the time anyway to go because of doing what I was involved with. And uh, therefore, uh, some of the material that they were fighting, it, was, it, did, it really didn't have the relevance to me because of my uh, schooling and, and what I was and working. Let's go to the schooling. You went to your superintendent and you told him you wanted to go to school and he showed you all the people that were doing so well there. Right, in the post office and 
that I wouldn't do any, what, what could I gain by going to school. But I told him anyway that since I was uh, entitled to a certain amount of GI or bill, I wanted to utilize it and, and go to school and just take a sample and see for myself just what schooling would be like or whether I could or, or just, just get in school. I'd been out of school since 42 and, and this was 45 and time was passing and I just felt that if I didn't get in school at that time that I wouldn't get into school. How old were you? Well, for twenty 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 one. Twenty one. Twenty one. So uh he said okay, so he let me change my hours from because uh, at that time I was starting to work in the evening, say maybe around nine o'clock and, and working till maybe four thirty, five thirty the next morning and this type of thing. So I was able to change my hours so that I could go to work in the, anywhere from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And that entitled and enabled me to enroll in school, take the classes that they, uh, that they had like 7.30, I'm sorry, 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock. I started to school, when I first started, I started to enroll originally in summer school. And St. Louis U at that time in summer school, they had classes so that you could get take two two classes, but the classes would last for I guess maybe three hours a day. And in one month you would pick up six hours. Because these were three hour courses. So if you took those courses for one month and that was over, you finished that, that was get six hours. Then you another say like that could have been like in June. In July you start another two classes and you could pick up another six credit cards. And then in August you do it again and you pick up another six. So in summer school you could pick up as many as eighteen credit cards. What was available in the summer? What was available for blacks if, for Negroes at this time as far as schools were concerned in St. Louis? And how did you happen to hit on St. Louis U and how did you happen to get in? Well, I really did not look around to see what was available except that I knew that there was Stowe Harris, which was uh, basically the school that they had that when you finished school at one of the high schools, inner city high schools, they had Stowe Teachers College and they had Harris Teachers College. I believe that's what I'm saying. I believe that's right. That's right. And they, um, they're two separate schools. And the blacks usually went to one, I guess that was Stowe, and the whites went to the Harris. I believe that's what I'm saying that's right. right. And I don't remember where the Harris was located. Stowe was located in the field over there. And, but in my particular case, since I did not go to high school in St. Louis, I did not inquire, but I felt in some way or another I didn't think that I would be allowed, since I did not go to high school in St. Louis, to go to either Stowe or Harris. Mm -hmm. So I, my thoughts were to go to school somewhere, and I'd been reading about St. Louis U and that there were some blacks, uh, that they had opened the doors and they had let some, allow some blacks to come to St. Louis U. So I decided that 
I would go to St. Louis U. And my cousin, who I was staying with, he was uh, doing some work with, uh, I, I remember, he often talked about Dempsey and Tegler. And somewhere along the line, just being around St. Louis, uh, I knew that Dempsey and Tegler had something to do, or they had attended St. Louis U, or, or they were around St. Louis U, or they had close allies with them anyway. So I knew that there was some way or another that they had graduated from St. Louis U. Maybe they had a, a hall or something over there at St. Louis U named after them, or, or somewhere or another. Back there, somewhere or another, you kind of get the feel, maybe from being around the post office and being around and looking at the newspaper, you knew that Dempsey and Tegler, the brokerage firm, had uh, some ties with St. Louis U or donated money to St. Louis U or something. But anyway, I decided that that's what I would do. A Wash U, I knew there was a Washington University around, but Washington University, I knew, was located out farther. And my traveling was from Taylor Avenue going down toward 17th and Market Street. And then just in going and coming, at some point in time, I was passing St. Louis University on the bus. So I knew where it was and would be easily accessible from where I lived. So I went over, well, not one thing I did, and I, I won't forget this, my cousin, bless his soul. In order to go to school, one of the things that you would have to do is, uh, I would need to do, would be to, to uh, get the proper papers and things uh, and authorization and find out what the government would do and what they would pay for. And of course, that's the subject of another discussion. I don't want to bore you with that because that was something that happened between my cousin and I. He uh, thought I was goofing off, but on the other hand, I, he, he couldn't understand why that one day I was uh, supposed to go downtown to get some lamb chops and some other material for dinner that day. And I did that, but in doing it, I went down to Jefferson Barracks to the VA to get my records and everything squared away so I could get in school and the time that it took to do all that and riding on the bus and getting everything else squared away when I did get back from down there and and downtown and get to meet and get home my cousin was home from work and uh, so he thought that I had bought the meat just at any little place instead of getting it down at the Union Market where he liked to get his meat from see but anyway after getting everything squared away from school, for school, I want to tell you this. I originally wanted to go to school to major in math, since I thought that was my best subject in school. But when I went to St. Louis U to sign up to get into the school where they had math, the person that interviewed me asked me for a letter of recommendation. And I did not have one because I didn't know I needed anything. So when I left that school then, I went to Sodology School. I ended up going to every school that St. Louis University had, trying to enroll in school so I could get in school at this opening summer school session, which was in May of 45. I ended up, the last school that they had, was a school of commerce and finance. I went there, I talked to the dean himself, Cantwell, 
he gave me a schedule. He told me when the classes would start and when I could get the books and everything. And after giving me that and giving me everything, then he asked me for the same thing, the letter of recommendation. I didn't have one. So he said, well, he said, normally, we like to have their letter of recommendation before you start the school. But since you already have a class schedule, and you know when to come and everything else, you can have one sent in. So that was a great day because it allowed me to be in school. I was determined to try to get in schools that time when the school starts sometime then because I felt that when you put it off, put it off, put it off, you never get back to it. Was there any conversation with any of these people that you talked to about being a Negro or, or that this was something new that they were doing, allowing people in? No, I, I didn't get that, that far, although I felt in a, a couple of cases that they were trying to deter you from, from actually pursue, uh, pursuing enrolling or getting into school. How did, how did you, what did they do that made you feel that way? Well, number one, you, we're talking about something in 1945, that was 43 years, <laughs> 42 years ago. I thought You mean, that are you trying to say that it's difficult to remember? <laughs> <laughs> no, really. I mean, not, it's a. Uh, is, it, is that what you're saying? It's not difficult to remember. I mean, but it is difficult to remember. I'm asking you to go back and to pull up some feelings and some ideas and some part of your life that you don't think about probably anymore. So, well, I, I just want to. I just yeah, want to make sure okay. I'm understanding what you're saying. Right. That's all. Well, I felt that if. Uh, and you're doing a very fine job. I, I will tell you. I felt that. Okay. Okay. I felt that. If you are going to do something that you haven't done before and you do not know the rules of or the fact that a letter of recommendation would have been required and you just coming out at this time that there should have been some way of discussing it and giving you the opportunity to have the letter sent in the same way that Dean Cantwell did. Mm -hmm. Dean Cantwell gave me the opportunity to be enrolled in school, to start the school, to come to, to go to class and have the letter of recommendation sent in within, let's say, five days. So when I took talk with my cousin who I stayed with... Excuse me, but is this the only thing that they seem to made you feel that they were trying to deter you on, to stop you? Well, there was one other thing in one particular school. They asked about the high school transcript and what type of school did I attend and how long I'd been out of school and whether I'd been out of school too long to really get back into schooling. Mm -hmm. That was one school that uh, discussed things like that. The other just said, you don't have the letter of recommendation, you can't come. Well, that's not, that's not yeah. too bad. Yeah. So, uh, so it wasn't it wasn't distinct uh, discrimination in feeling. Or well, in or in my particular case, since that from forty three to forty five, 
I had become accustomed to meeting and dealing and being around people in general. And I had, uh, from the feeling of inferiority complex at one time to the feeling that you're going to be around uh, people that you don't know and how will you get along with them and from uh, being feeling kind of, well, what's it going to be like from that type of feeling by, by 45, I had become accustomed to being around all types of people and I really didn't have the fear of not being able to do this or do that because uh, I had become more secure, I guess, in my feelings and, and feet on the ground that this is a big world and that if anybody else can do it, I can do it too. How did it go in the lunchroom? I mean, when you started to eat with whites in the lunchroom at... Uh at the post office. Did that, was that difficult? No, it wasn't difficult because uh, once, uh, once you start to eat, and really I guess at the time when the post office, the time, the hours that I worked and the time that I ate, there would really not be that many people eating because of my odd hours in the post office. I mean, I was working at, uh, most of it was working like from late in the evening until the next morning, so my you only had a half an hour, and a half an hour you really didn't have that much time to eat anyway. I mean, if you had, uh, let's say, an hour to eat, and you got time to sit there and, and look around and think about things, but when you're in a hurry and things are going on around you, you just uh, go ahead and do it. Now, that was my particular case. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that um, they were torn to bits, and uh, they couldn't get along and they, they had problems, but I guess uh, it depends upon the person. And I, maybe I just a little different than others uh, to the extent that, well, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. And you go ahead and do it and uh, tomorrow things will be different. Uh, Clarence, was, was the summer school the first way that, they, that, that the Negroes went into Washington, went, went into St. Louis U? Was that, did they do it by summer school first? Are you aware? You know, I'm not aware because I don't know what it was before. That was my be beginning of St. Louis U. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there must have been some that were in there before that summer session started. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not sure when the first classes of blacks. Actually, I, I read something where it said 46. I don't know. Oh, so. it had to be before 46 because I know that I started in May of 45 mm -hmm. in summer school. And now I don't know, in May of 45, I don't know how many other blacks, mm -hmm. because like I said, being in school myself and taking courses and working in, in the, like I was, that I really didn't have time to really start to looking around and see. I just know that in my classes, usually I was possibly the only black in my class. Well, tell me about that. Well, there again, being the only black in the class and, and you are with uh, the other whites and you having the same problem of trying to study and do your homework, we start to getting along and, and studying together. And I found that a lot of these other whites that were in the class were ex-servicemen. So being ex-servicemen, then, uh, and possibly a lot of these uh, whites had been around blacks in the service. 
And I really didn't have that much problem. I got along with the whites, I mean whites, and they got along with me. And the only thing that, uh, and I noticed this, that every, every class and every year, I would find that I was around different whites. Because the way they put you in the, in the class, you would uh, you would be in uh, in different groups. So I know in one particular class, for example, 